Welcome to the Relationship Road Trip, navigating the twists and turns of all the important relationships in your life. I am Ben Azevedo, your backseat driver. I'm Dr. Don Fernando Azevedo, clinical psychologist, executive coach, and voiceover artist, your navigator. And I'm Kim Azevedo, licensed marriage and family therapist, your mechanic. And today I am the hitchhiker. My name is Brielle and I use she, her pronouns. Drivers, we are well underway on this leg of the journey. Let's keep going. Today's quote is by Elizabeth Gilbert. To be fully seen by somebody, then, and be loved anyhow, this is a human offering that can border on miraculous. Last week, we discussed more language within the LGBTQIA community. Today, we are joined by Brielle, who will help us further explore the language and the ways it's developing in society. Welcome to the show, Brielle. Thanks so much. It's great to be here. Tell us a little bit about yourself and what do you do? I don't actually know anything about you. <laughs> Yeah. So I used to be a graduate student at UNC and I have since left the program because I've decided that academia really sucks. And this upcoming fall, I'm going to be teaching at Elon University. I study ethics. And so it's going to be really fun to be able to teach those sorts of courses that are like related to what I study. I like to study ethics. That's what I do. Cool. Ethics. We may have to add some questions about ethics. For yeah. sure. <laughs> I, I'm, I feel we like now I don't know anything about ethics. I know nothing about <laughs> ethics. You are I both I knew very something. ethical people. What? You're both very ethical people. How can you not know anything about ethics? Let's, I'm, now I'm questioning that. If you ask me directly about ethics, I'm like, uh, I don't know. I haven't studied it. Oh. There's probably a lot to know. Do you think that you're a good person? Yeah, but doesn't everybody think they're a good person? No. Only some days do I think that. I question that mm. a lot. No, I think I'm a good person. <laughs> I don't have data to actually back up the questioning of my ethical abilities, but I do question it a fair amount. Honestly, one of the things that is a problem with studying ethics in academia is that a lot of philosophers try to make it into something super theoretical when it's actually not supposed to be. You're supposed to like draw from the ground and you're supposed to draw from human experiences because that's what ethics is. But sometimes it gets too in the clouds. And I think that is actually kind of a bad thing. Hmm. That makes sense. Okay. And that kind of fits into what we're talking about as far as the way we are learning to define ourselves with various labels, as we've talked about on the last two episodes, and how sometimes it can feel like we're drifting up into the clouds with all of the different labels and definitions and exploration that we're having. Yeah. So Brielle, can you tell us a little bit about what you find interesting and important when it comes to this language that's used in the in the queer community? Yeah, totally. So I didn't officially come out as queer or I didn't officially realize it until I was an undergrad in college. So about five-ish years ago, maybe a little bit more than that. But I had known that something about me was not I wasn't just fully straight. And so I had been following queer blogs and queer communities. Tumblr was a really great place for that. It was also a really terrible place, but 
that's a whole nother conversation. But I've been looking at the way that people talk and identify in the queer community for the span of several years. And I think that one of the things that's super interesting is the way that the language that we use has evolved and expanded and the way that we as a community view that and self-reflect on the changes that we're making. What does self-reflection on the changes look like? How are people doing that? Yeah, so I I guess by self-reflection, I mean like the community as a whole thinking about what it means to be LGBTQ plus or queer. And you can actually see a lot of this sort of self-reflection now on TikTok. There is a really big queer community on TikTok. And right now, some of the hot topics are whether or not we should count or respect the way that some people who claim to be queer self-identify. And there are arguments going back and forth. So that's the sort of self-reflection that I'm talking about. Well, and we talked a little bit about this in previous episodes because I was talking about my experience of being bi and the evolving definition of bisexual and then pansexual. Mm -hmm. And where do these things fit? What's the definition and delineation between these two things, the self-reflection of how do I fit into this and how do these labels fit into the community at large? I could be totally off base with this thought, but we all humans like to belong to groups to, you know, that's part of identity. That's part of all of this conversation. And then I imagine some of the reflection and the difficulty is having these self-identification and then the nuances of that. And it's like, does this person fit within our group or within a different group? And do we want that person in our group or not? And trying to be inclusive, but also still maintain that sense of community and group and some amount of shared experience and understanding. Is that something? (laughs) I don't know. I mean, I think that that's exactly right. Part of it is that one of the reasons that we have seen a proliferation of labels within the queer community is because people find comfort in these labels and they can find other people like them. And so these labels, finding one that fits you is a very comforting thing. It's something that makes you feel not alone. It makes you know that like, you're not weird or anything. This is just how you are. And that's how we got a whole bunch of different labels, you know, like gender queer and non-binary. These were around a long time ago, but they only really started becoming super popular in the last few decades. And one of the interesting things about that is it's great that we are expanding the community and expanding our notion of things like gender to be more of, I don't even know if I want to say spectrum, but gender as a non-binary thing and expanding our notions of sexuality. This is all great. But then you run into the problem of who is what, who counts as what, who should be included in what group, because it is very true that queer people, there are experiences that queer people have that straight cis people do not. And we want to keep that sense of community. So the question then becomes, how far do we expand it? And I think that's a really hard question to answer. So that's interesting. It sounds like it's pressing up against the social psychology idea of in and out groups. In groups would be the groups with which I identify and out groups would be the ones that I don't. 
And Brielle, you were talking before we started recording on that idea that um, some folks within the queer community are saying these labels are not part of us. And some of them are saying they can be part of us. So that, that psychology example of belongingness that Ben was bringing up sounds like it's playing out in, the, in these communities. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. I think this is the type of self-reflection that I was referring to. So actually, I would like, there's some words that you used, uh, Brielle, that I don't understand. I mean, I understand trans, male to female and female to male. And now there's more. And I don't know what the initials are or how that works. I know those. I had to look these up. I looked these up. But Brielle should explain them. Yes. (laughs) I think he's referring to A-M-A-B. Yeah. Got it. Okay. So, so traditionally in trans communities, you would see people describe as MTF, which means male to female or FTM, which means female to male. Language has now shifted to assigned male at birth or assigned female at birth. The idea behind that being that trans people were never the gender or are not the gender that they were assigned at birth. And so you want to be able to acknowledge that this was something that was forced upon you by society rather than something that you were and then decided to change. And what's interesting is in the medical community itself, if you're, and it's literally at this point, an application process, if you're applying for physical transition, so to get any gender confirmation surgeries, the doctors, the medical providers have to use the traditional things. So MTF or FTM. And the letters get kicked back to you if you use the newer, so assigned male at birth, assigned female at birth, and you have to correct them. I write these letters and I've had a couple kicked back because I happen to use that instead of MTF or FTM, which I thought was really interesting. And that actually points out something that, that I'm interested in as the old guy in this. To change to change an entire society's way of looking at things is very complex and difficult. To get them to adopt new words or to understand new things is, is really hard. And my question is, how do we go about doing that in a way that's inviting to the people who are saying the old ways were just fine? You know, when, when boys were boys and girls were girls, because I've heard that. And and I said, well, actually, that's never been true. You were just unaware of it. (laughs) This is something I've actually thought a lot about as an ethicist, like what are our responsibilities to making sure that we evolve with society, assuming that it's evolving in a good way. And I've sadly come to the conclusion that I don't know. I don't know what we're supposed to do here. One, because This is quite a personal thing for people. And so when others tell them or act like their identity is made up or fake or invalid, that is something that people take on personally. That's personal. That's not just debate about something out in the world or like a disagreement over statistics or something. And so it would be unfair to expect those people to make sure that the way that they are responding to this, the way that they are expressing their identity is friendly or amenable to straight cisgender people. And so it, it's hard to say that those people should be the ones to make sure that this new space is inviting. But then at the same time, when allies try and speak up 
for them, which I think is good. We run into the problems of like not quite knowing what to say because of all of the disagreement going on within the queer community itself and allies can't speak for the queer community. So it's very hard to to advocate for something that you don't exactly know what you're advocating for. So I'm not really sure how we can do that. And that's an important thing. And I do agree with you. It's not a burden for the people who are identifying this way. But those of us who are allies need a path. We need to figure out how do we do this? Because there are some people who are definitely not allies and, and they need to be brought to an understanding that it doesn't harm them to be respectful of another person, even if the way that they identify is different than how that person grew up or learned about the world. I think what Brielle is saying is it, it is a burden to those people who identify differently, but it's our job as allies to work with the people who are not as keen to change as best we can. And it's, it's going to be, it's a messy process. Right. I think Absolutely. there's no way it's going to be an easy, clean thing. Change is hard. <laughs> Any it kind is. of change is hard. And, and it's possible. I think a really important thing to consider is, again, from the medical perspective, the DSM and its original diagnosis as homosexuality being an illness. And in 1973, we were able to move past that and it was no longer a diagnosable illness. For that, it was criminal. Oh, okay. I was like, Papa's about to question me, but I have an entire article up. <laughs> no, no I mean, you started You started at the point where it was a medical illness, but before that, it was criminal activity for which you could be jailed. Speaking, um, as I often do colloquially, as the non-licensed, non-professional host of this show. Backseat driver. The backseat driver. <laughs> for me, what I often try to do is, I'm not going to convince some random stranger on the internet that they, them pronouns are fine, right? I have no relationship with that person. They're just going to troll me. There's no point in that. But in individual relationships that I have in my day-to-day -day life, a, a colleague, a boss, a, a friend, there I can make an impact. And that doesn't mean that overnight I'm going to convince somebody who's resistant to changing pronouns that they should call somebody by they, them pronouns. But if I can have conversations with them over time in a non-judgmental, friendly, open way and demonstrate to them that using the pronouns that someone else has chosen is really not that big of an impact to them and it doesn't harm them in any way or change anything about their own personal experience in the world and it doesn't threaten their worldview or anything like that, I think I can affect small changes at an individual level. And that's, that's what I hope for. That's just my colloquial, you know, personal experience. And if you need help with figuring out how to do conflictual conversations, we have a bunch of episodes on that. That's true. That to me, Ben, defines the whole idea of ethical behavior. Behavior well, that's authentic to your value set and treats others with honor and respect. I mean, I did say I thought I was a good person. <laughs> well, and I think that's also really a good definition of actions for allies. That's the small fight of supporting the queer community that you know is standing up for. So when someone mislabels someone else, gently correcting them. You know, you were saying that your wife gently corrected you on some pronouns earlier. And that's that's perfect. That's yep. that's the way it goes. And it is 
harder for some individuals, typically in the older generations, to catch on to that and maintain the change. And it's still possible. Don, even you and Janice, you've made those changes and you've messed them up. And Kim and I have gently corrected you. It's been fine. Everything's good. But again, that's a very, we have a personal relationship. We have a lot of trust and respect for each other. So that makes it easier. It's a lot harder with, say, a coworker that you have an okay relationship with, but you're not, you know, family, but it's still possible. I think the other thing to remember is it's not one conversation. You're not going to have one conversation with somebody who's like, I don't know about pronouns and convince them by the end of the conversation. Oh yeah, I'm totally supporting pronouns now. And that's change doesn't happen like that. This kind of change. I get that from both of you, the individual conversations, that kind of thing. Where I'm coming from is I'm part of the leadership of my church and we are leading a change to change the bylaws and the, the constitution of the church to be more inclusive, including language, and making sure that that's also part of the messages that we send out and how we appear to the world in general. Systemic change. Yeah. And that's the part I'm having trouble with is how hey, to I'm, do that. I'm not a politician. In a Christian church. <laughs> Yeah, I was going to say, I definitely can't speak towards a Christian church, but medical community, small things such as adding preferred pronouns on your intake sheets and asking clients, which I've been arguing with our, whatever that's called, our EMR, to add that. And it's been a back and forth. I've sent them like six emails. (laughs) But that's part of the systemic change is making that normal and normalizing it, seeing that across things. So a lot of people will post their pronouns on Instagram or Facebook. A newer thing on Hinge, which is a dating app, is you can post your pronouns there. And you can also post your sexuality now. So small things like that add into the systemic change. Religious change is a whole different bucket of worms. I'm I'm in the midst of it. And I respect you for that. Brielle, do you have any thoughts about Papa's church problems? <laughs> no, I mean, see, that's Ben, I love your approach. And I think that that really is the best way to go about it. But the way that Don described the problem at church is the way that I originally interpreted it and the way and what I was responding to when I said that I don't know. And I think it's really great that your church is doing that. But in my family, who is also very Christian, they're doing kind of the exact opposite because they do think that having they, them pronouns or accepting that gender isn't a binary does offend their worldview. The argument being that God doesn't make mistakes. There are two genders, just like Adam and Eve and, you know, all that kind of stuff. So I don't know how you would go about doing that, but I think a good step is learning why They think the things that they do and countering it with something from your own set of beliefs, because you all believe in the same God. You have a basic set of shared principles, even if what flows from them varies greatly. And I think that those kinds of people are more likely to listen to fellow believers than somebody who just responds with, well, God isn't real. So there. (laughs) Yeah, that probably would not work. (laughs) That would be interesting. It would be. I think that's a very wise answer, Brielle. (laughs) I really do. So what is a demisexual and what is kitten self? So a demisexual. (laughs) Don with Um, the hard e-break turn. (laughs) Sorry, I've been watching too much Fast and Furious. All right, let's go. So demisexual is a 
sexual identity, much like gay or lesbian is. And it is a subset of the sexual identity of being asexual. So think about when you say trans, that's more of an umbrella term for maybe someone who is assigned male at birth who identifies as female or somebody who is assigned female at birth and identifies as non-binary. These are two different ways that you can be trans. Similarly, there are different ways that you can be asexual. Asexual being that you just don't experience sexual attraction at all. So it's not that you're attracted to other genders and that's what makes you queer or part of the LGBTQ community, but it's you're part of the LGBT community because you don't experience sexual attraction at all. And that is also a sexual minority. And then demisexual is a form of asexuality in which the person does not feel any sexual attraction to anybody until they develop a close emotional bond with them. And that's where the word demi comes from, because it's not fully asexual, but there do need to be some very staunch conditions in place for that to change. Cool. And kitten self? This is also one of the things that people are very much debating. These noun self pronouns, so like kitten self or princess self, they are adopted by people who don't really like the idea of gender just in general. Like they don't want to identify as anything on that spectrum or in that circle. And they more so identify with, say, a kitten or whatever noun you want to put in there. And I am not trans, nor do I use noun self-pronouns. But that's that's my understanding of it. Well, and this goes into, first of all, how much things are still changing and also the the complexity, the easy way of getting lost in how to talk to people and how to be respectful, especially if it's not something that you particularly understand or have the knowledge and resources to research. Because we also start looking in, if I want to better understand this, where can I find more information? I don't know where to find expansive education on that that's not Tumblr or Twitter, because obviously that leads into different rabbit holes that may or may not be accurate to the community at large. Was there a question in there? (laughs) (laughs) No, I'm good at statements, not questions. Sorry, Um, I'm usually usually the question guy. With all of these expanding definitions and identities and the language, how does that affect the difficulty and confusion surrounding self-identifying as a part of the queer community? I think the the emergence of noun self-pronouns, it gives people a whole bunch of new different doors to explore and ways to identify. So, you know, back several decades ago, maybe, maybe yeah, like couple centuries, I don't know. You could only identify as male or female. Those were those were the doors that you had. And then eventually more doors opened up and you could identify as, you know, non-binary or something like that. And I think that this this is potentially another way, another door that could be opened up for self-identifying. The problem is that when you have too many doors to choose from, it's hard to decide where to go. And it's hard to know if you're going in the right direction or you've made the right choice. 
And so for a lot of people, and I've seen this especially with people who are Gen Z age, switching from genderqueer kitten self, who is a lesbian, to just gay. And that, that was actually a trend on TikTok was how people were adopting all of these brand new, super specific labels, and then being like, actually, I'm just, I'm just gay. I'm just a lesbian. And so I think it adds a lot of confusion for somebody who's already questioning their identity. And I think in some ways, it can also make them feel delegitimized, because we're having this conversation about our noun self pronouns valid. And so yeah, I think that it it adds more freedom, it adds more possibility. But I think with that freedom comes a whole host of problems that we didn't have before we adopted these, these new labels, these neo pronouns. I also think it's important to really normalize that sense of, I started with X, Y, or Z, and then maybe that doesn't fit me. So I'm just gay. <laughs> that's where I'm at. Because that's also equally valid. You know, your life changes over time. I saw a really funny post somewhere about obviously someone challenging someone's personal pronouns. And they're like, well, on your birth certificate, it says whatever. And the person responded with, well, on the birth certificate, it says seven pounds, three ounces. And obviously that's changed a lot. (laughs) You know, your life changes. And so your identities can change as well. And I think for people who are exploring their self-identification, really remembering like, it's okay if you realize down the road, hey, that that doesn't feel right anymore. I had a friend who asked me like, why don't you identify as pansexual? Because definitionally, and there's high quotes there, I fit that more. And it's like, I like bisexual. That's that's a comfortable label for me. So I'm gonna keep it. Thank you very much. <laughs> and that's equally valid as if I had said, you're right. I identify as pansexual now. All of this is valid and confusing. It's confusing and overwhelming for sure. Yeah, I actually went through the same thing. I used to identify as polysexual and now I'm bisexual because I, I think I just like it better. Plus but the actually, flag is the coolest. <laughs> I agree. Kim has talked about the flag for like the past three episodes. It's, Listen, it's, it's my so flag. nice. It's all of these colors. Anyways, as a side note, I think this is actually one of the ways that allies can advocate for the queer community is not just convincing other people that non-binary people exist or whatever, but also getting them to warm up to the idea that an identity can change over time and that this is completely legitimate without mention of being queer or anything that might make them want to shy away from the conversation. Just that idea that it is okay to change over time. That's what we're supposed to do as humans. And there are many ways that this change can manifest. And that the the best way to be in the world is to treat people with honor and respect and with a little gentle curiosity to discover who they are as an individual rather than who they are as a group. That's like the key of this entire podcast is acceptance and gentle curiosity. Yeah, we should just change the name to Gentle Curiosity. Right. So much for the relationship road trip. This is just Gentle Curiosity. Honestly, that's we could do it NPR style. We could all get our voices really low and close to the microphone. Welcome to Gentle Curiosity. <laughs> My voice doesn't get so that low. Comfortable and oh, nice. I think it does, Kim. 
if I talk like this. There you go. <laughs> this this We're would all be really, really low now. Who can talk the lowest? Definitely not me. No, that's that's really good. That's really good. Is questioning the validity of microlabels a form of transphobia? And then also, is that a different phobia? Because not everybody using a microlabel is necessarily trans, right? Right. Yeah. So those smaller labels under the umbrella of asexual, so demisexual, gray sexual, those people don't necessarily have to be trans, but they're still using, you know, this new sort of more specific label. I don't know what to say about whether or not questioning the validity of some neo-pronouns is a form of transphobia. Because unlike the asexual terms where they're referring to asexuality, this the adoption of noun self-pronouns are because I don't want to, you know, speak for them. But in general, the adoption of these sorts of pronouns, neo-pronouns, is because people feel a discomfort about the way that gender is viewed in society or or practiced or even just thought of. So when you think about what transphobia is, is just, you know, something that, how would you define transphobia? aggressively stating that that's not a real thing. Like you yeah. can't be that. I would so, say fear and denial of. Yeah. When when we were saying this, the questioning of the validity of microlabels doesn't necessarily come off as a phobia to me. That comes off as a question and a curiosity and kind of an internal debate for self. The, the phobia would become if you're actively saying this isn't a real thing. You can't identify like that. Imposing yeah. your will on somebody else. Right. And there actually are some people who do say that, like, you cannot identify as right. kitten self. I will not respect that pronoun. I'm not going to call you that. Whether or not that's transphobia or a different phobia or anything, it's disrespectful <laughs> and it's mean. So it's not ethical and it's not a good thing to do. <laughs> Not good person behavior. But yeah, Ben, you started to hit on something as far as when you start to put your beliefs and your structure on someone else. I think that's really where you start to hit the the phobia is the aggression of it. Questioning it and being confused or wanting to explore, wanting to research isn't necessarily a bad or negative thing. I think the the negative thing happens when you start to say, you can't be that way, or I refuse to identify you that way. And you start to push your personal agenda on someone else's life experience. I think there's a, a slightly subtler level of that too, that we talked about a little bit earlier, which is yeah, you can call yourself that, but you're not part of my group. You're not within my community. And that's yeah. a different sort of aggression. It's not quite aggression, but it is a sort of denial of without, you know, okay, you can do that, but I'm over here. This is my, you know. Well, that's back to social psychology and in right. and out groups. You know, these right. are the in titles or names or identities or labels. And right. those are the out ones. And I think that that could be an element. And that I would push closer to something like transphobia or an aggression. That's almost like into internalized segregation of I'll fit this and you're fine, but you stay on that side. Yeah, you're okay as long as you're over there. Right. Which yeah. is still not, that's not good. It's not like, nice. I think even this conversation that we're having, trying to figure out 
whether it is or is not transphobia, very nicely mirrors just what the queer community goes through when they're trying to figure out how to adopt a label that they feel fits them, right? Maybe we can't quite find the word for aggressively denying somebody's identity who uses neo-pronouns. Maybe it's not transphobia, maybe it is. All we know is that there's something objectionable about it, and maybe we should stay away from it. And I don't think that it has to have a word as long as we know, or as long as we have a good idea of what we ought to do and what we ought not to do. That's the old bringing the ethics down from the clouds, huh? (laughs) Yes, a little bit. This week, we dove into neo-pronouns and some of the challenges with trying to define identity while respecting the individuality of each person's experience. As always, if you have any questions, you can reach out to us at questions at afpsych.com. And we're going to include a few links in the show notes for additional reading and resources if you're interested in that. And until next time, enjoy the drive. Thank you for listening to The Relationship Road Trip. We hope you enjoyed the episode and we want to know what you think. So write to us at questions at afpsych.com. You can also support the show by rating and reviewing us on iTunes or subscribing with your favorite podcast app. You can find more episodes of the show at relationshiproadtrip.com or wherever you download podcasts. The Relationship Road Trip comes out every Wednesday at 7 a.m., so don't forget to tune in next week. The Relationship Road Trip is brought to you by Azevedo Family Psychology, where they are dedicated to helping you create a life worth celebrating. You can learn more about their services at azevedofamilypsychology.com. This podcast is produced by Bear Cave Audio. Bear Cave Audio provides a range of audio services, from original composition to podcast recording and editing. To learn more, go to bearcaveaudio.com or email ben at bearcaveaudio.com. Until we meet again, may the road rise up to meet you. May the wind be always at your back. And may the sun shine warm upon your face. Thank you.